Baruch Atah Adonai, Eloheinu Melech HaOlam, Asher Bachar Bin Ve'im Tovim, Ve'ratza Ve'divrehim Ha-Ne'emarim Be'emet. Baruch Atah Adonai, Haboker Batorah Uv Moshe Avdo, Uv Yisrael Amo, Uvin Vie Ha'emet Vazedek. Biskut Mashiach Yeshua. Amen. Amen. Adonai, may you bind us to Mashiach Yeshua. May you stir our hearts in Teshuvah as we are in the midst of the Yamim Noraim. So Adonai, I ask for your blessings on your people, upon all Yisrael, and may there be shalom upon Yerushalayim. Amen. Amen. All right, so welcome everyone. This is Shomerman and Chassis coming at you with the Haftarah Get You Some. This week is really special because, like I said, we're in the 10 days, the the days of awe. And these are the inner, uh, intermediate days between Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur. And so we should be walking in Shuva more than ever before as we head into the ceiling of our judgment on Yom Kippur. Amen. So I'm going to throw it over to Hasis to take us away with some insights. Oh, man. Oh, man. Thank you for the beautiful bracha and introduction. Babaka Shah. We have uh, this half Torah. Um, this is the half Torah of Shabbos Shuva. The, the Shabbat of repentance, the Shabbat of Teshuvah. Um, so these three um, prophets that we're going to read from today in this half Torah are always read between Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur. And it's all about, of course, the theme theme of this, this time period, Shuvah. And I think it's fitting we have three prophets, because like it says in Kohelet 4.12, a three-stranded cord is not easily broken. Cool. And so these three join together, if you will, like almost as if, you know, the Avot, our forefathers, Abraham, Yitzhak, and Yaakov, to bind us to Teshuva before, between this time, between Rosh Hashanah and uh, and, uh, and Yom Kippur. Amen. All right. So I figured we could start off with a little background. All right. Background on Hoshea, Micah, and Yol, our three prophets. All right. So... Hoshea, Hoshea says that from Rashid Rabbah eighty four nineteen, Hakadosh Baruch Hu said to Reuven, "You were the first to repent. By your life, your descendant will be the first to urge repentance." This refers to Hoshea, who is the who is from the tribe of Reuven, who said, "Return, O Israel." What Hoshea mm-hmm. from the tribe of Reuven? Yes. Wow. And this is he was the. One of the, the merits, the fruit that Reuven bore from him being the first to do Teshuva. And, you know, rabbis ask, well, didn't Cain and, and Adam do Teshuva before Reuven? Mm. It goes and says, well, Reuven was the first to do Teshuva out of pure love of Hashem and not just fear of the consequences. Wow. And so ever since he, uh, the whole idea of the, the pit of Yosef and him moving his father's bed. Um, he was in this constant state of teshuva and would fast and and just out of this love for HaKadosh Baruch Hu and through that merited Hoshia who encouraged the generations to repent. Wow. 
wouldn't want any better model for repentance than one who repents out of love. Amen. And, and I mean, since and like yeah, exactly what you're saying about the whole, you know, repenting out of love. It's like your your sins, your transgressions. Once you repent out of love, become merits for us. That's what's said. Man. So if we repent out of fear, they're they're erased, and if we repent out of love, then they become merits. Oh, man. Can you hear us home? And so here we, uh, just while we're on the subject of Reuven, um, the sages say within the Talmud that, you know, him moving with his, his, you know, mother's bed had no sexual connotation. He was just moving the bed. Wow. And so he wasn't actually guilty of a sin with lying with his, his father's, uh, his father's, you know, wife baruch hashem tag all right tag accepted i agree and i think that's absolutely great clarification because when we get into various midrashim and commentaries that uh sometimes the commentaries are kind of like whoa i can't believe that's that's a commentary that's accepted and it's just like when you start to get into those areas, it, it kind of like freaks you out. And so to think of Reuven like meddling with his father's like uh, marital affairs, that definitely is one of the things that would freak a person out. And, uh, you know, speaking on myself here, uh, I'm going to be real greedy and just put myself right there. But um, the the reason for not literally the sole reason, but one of the big things to think about when you see something like that, saying that he meddled in his father's marital affairs and like so much so that he would insert himself into the picture, you know, um, it would be a good uh, measure of cognizance to like think through what is this actually saying? And basically to know that the level of Reuven moving his father's bed, you know, from wherever it was, is on the level. And it is seen and taken as that he he actually, you know, meddled in the marital affairs, so to speak. This is kind of on the level of Mashiach saying, if you even look at a woman lustfully, it's like committing adultery. Well, you have committed adultery. So the fact that he would even enter into his father's area, his personal possessions, his bed, and even like deal with any of that, it's on that level. So just something yes. to kind of think about. Just the idea that the righteous uh, are judged a little more harshly. And like his whole idea, you know, he was the firstborn and he saw his, his mother, you know, being lack of attention. And so his whole idea was to get, you know, uh, Yaakov to be with his his mother again because he he noticed she was she was lacking and lonely and so that was the whole idea behind that but luckily we have uh, Chazal to uh, guide us and the Oral Torah to guide us uh, through things like that um, but like you said I think you brought up a, a great point of just going through going through commentaries and uh, you know our our Mashiach Yeshua he says something interesting he. Um, he mentioned, he asked, you know, what is the greatest commandment? It's answered. But he also has this this follow-up phrase. It's like, and how do you interpret it? Mm. 
And I think that's very key, especially in these days of leading up to Yom Kippur, um, when we read scripture or when we are, you know, observing our, our, our fellow Jew or our fellow um, just neighbor, whoever that may be, uh, how are we interpreting the situation? Oh. Are we reading scripture in a positive light? Are we reading the best in people in, in scriptures and the best in people around us? Or are we looking for errors? Are we looking for uh, mistakes and flaws? Usually you, know? you find what you're looking for. Exactly. So what, what are you seeking? Uh, that's, that's a key thing to, to keep in our hearts during this time of these, these 10 days of, of repentance is how do we interpret it? When we read scripture, how do we interpret it? When we, when we, when we see the actions of our fellow Jew, how do we interpret it? Um, there's this, this wonderful story, um, since we're on this, this topic of teshuva, it mentions this rabbi and he, he finds, you know, one of the members of, of the shul he's going to, and he hears him saying the prayers and he's just speeding past these prayers, just like mumbling, uh, saying them really fast. And the rabbi, he rebukes him and he says, why, you know, why are, are you not taking the time? You should be saying this with a lot of kavanah, you should slow down, you know, and this man's reply is, you know, when you hear an infant crying or saying nonsensical syllables, you may not understand what he wants, but his parents are sensitive to his sounds and understand what each sound means. God is my father. He understands my mumbling. And it talks about, you know, this rabbi, Rabbi Levi Yitzhak. And when he heard this response, his, his, his automatic thing wasn't to criticize the guy. Oh, he's making excuses and this and that. He saw, he saw a positive interpretation. Like Mashiach says, how do you interpret it? So when he heard this, this was his, his reaction to the man's response. He was thrilled, says he was thrilled because he had acquired a new plea to defend the people's behavior. So it, it's just, you know, we can, we can look at someone in a negative light and, and we can look at what they say as an excuse, or we could really understand the heart, you know, like try, try, to, try to look at the best in our brother. And like this rabbi did, he, he used it. He found a new defense to plea on behalf of the people, just like all the, the righteous Sadiqim, Abraham, Moshe, uh, Mashiach, Yeshua. <laughs> Man, so, hit you some. You know, let us let us learn a lesson from, you know, uh, Reuven and Hoshia and many others who inspired us to repent and um, encourage people to do teshuva. I mean, so don't get offended. Look for ways to defend. Yes. Wow. <laughs> don't offend, defend. Man. Well, that was beautiful. Toda Rabah for sharing that with Hosea. Did not know any of that. Well, uh, Toda, uh, let's let's take time. Let's go ahead and go to Yol. Yol. Uh, Prophet Yol. And occasionally, and in certain, you know, uh, certain certain groups, this is not part of the half Torah. What? Uh, But in other groups, it is. Mm. But. For the sake of, of doing more, we will include it in this section. We're going to get everybody up in her. <laughs> uh-huh. It says, uh, Yol, called the evil incarnation in Yol 220, Zaphoni, from Zaphon, hidden, 
for it hides a man's heart, Sukkah 52a. The verse that which the Gazam has left, the Arba has eaten, and Yol 1.4, was fulfilled in the days of Yol's son of Bethul. That year the month of Adar passed, and no rain had fallen. The first rainfall came on the first of Nisan, and the prophet said to the Israelites, Go out and sow. Should one who has a measure of wheat eat it and live, or sow it and die of hunger, they asked. Nevertheless, he replied, a miracle was made for them. The grain hidden in the walls by mice and in the outholes was revealed to them. They went out and sowed on the second, third, and fourth of Nisan. The second rainfall came on the fifth of Nisan, and they brought the Omer sacrifice for the new barley on the sixteenth of Nisan. (laughs) Grain had grown for them in eleven days. And, mm. uh, Instead of eleven months, eleven days. Yes. Wow. <laughs> and so, just the miracle that they had, just by just following the words of of this prophet. Source tag. All right, go for it. Because I agree, and I just got through listening with my lovely Kala. Uh, we were listening to Rabbi Griffin, aka Captain Yisrael. His drosh on Shabbat Shuva from 2015. I highly recommend y'all go check that out, um, podcast listeners. And um, and because this story and this insight, this source that you just shared, Hasis, he alludes to that source in his drosh. And he's he's doing this whole thing about how there's the former and the latter rain in the first month and how all of a sudden it's just like the Omer is due on the 16th and it is Nissan one and it's been a drought. It's just like, all right, let's get it done. It's just like, OK, so we're, we're repenting. We're doing what Hashem said. Let's go sow the land. Former latter rain. Boom. 11 days later, boom, here you go. <laughs> Man, that is awesome. <laughs> so, Burger I completely agree. I'm going to have to go back and check that out as well. Yes, sir. It was amazing. Yeah. I was just like, wow, he was dropping this in 2015. Oh, my goodness. Man, Brooke Sham. All right. So, yo, we got more? Yep. Okay. Uh, and just a little side swerve, swerve, swerve tag. Swerve. So, and... Uh, Tylene 4, verse 5, uh, it says it says this. On, on what it says at the beginning about Yod called the evil inclination hidden. And then David says, and Tylene 4, 5, Tremble and sin not. Reflect in your hearts while on your beds and be alert and silent Salah. Uh, and this is something we, we repeat in the uh, bedtime Shema. Yep. But it mentions, it mentions in our scroll commentary, it says he tells, in verse 5, he tells his adversaries that it is the evil inclination who is the real enemy, not he. And so it's like this idea that the, that Joel is saying the evil inclination that's hidden in man's heart. It's from Sukkah 52a. Um, but also here, David alludes that in the Talim, where he says, you know, tremble and sin not, reflect in your hearts while on your beds, be able to silence law. So at the end of the day, we need, really need, you know, if we're, we're angry, in the beginning of the Bet Shema, praise for forgiveness of everyone else. Let no one man be held accountable for the wrongs they've done to me. Yeah. And then you get to this little verse that, that David says, which is really powerful, where it's essentially talking about search your heart. 
search your heart and see the evil inclination that's hidden within there. Understand that that's the real enemy. Wow. The one that's hidden in me, the one that's hidden in you, that's our real enemy. That's our adversary. We wage not wars against flesh and blood about this person, that person, this and that, who did this and that. We rage wars against the own evil within our hearts wow. that's trying to disrupt us from unity, that's trying to disrupt us from service of Hashem, just many other other just ways of Torah. Wait, 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 wait. Uh, I think, I, I th- oh, let me, oh my <laughs> word. Because what you just said, you know, it's not it's not the flesh and blood, and it's really the Yetzahara within each and every one of us. Well, you know that uh, in Yaakov, which is commonly called James, we're calling it Yaakov because that's what it is. Yaakov chapter 4 verse 1, it literally says, from where do milchamot, which are wars, from where do they come from? What is their driving force? And from where come fights among you, congregation, peoples, believers? Where do these fights come from? Is it not from here, from the lust of warring within your members? So you're talking about the Yetzahara being the real enemy, the hidden one that's in our heart. That's stirring up all of the lust and everything that leads us away into sin. And furthermore, that's the driving force behind the war and the fights and the quarrels. Yes. So like when we're having issues with people and we're having issues with ourselves in our own minds and all these inner voices, it's not it's not literally the people. It's literally the Yetzirah. That's crazy. Oh, man. I love, I love that. I'm talking about uh, warring within my members. I mean, you think about this whole idea of this stony heart that especially we're trying to rid of in this month to make it, make it soft to do teshuva and sincere, sincere teshuva, turn back to Hashem and His Torah. Yeah. Um, you also think of this idea that uh, if you think of the heart as our land and there's like the, like the land of Israel, like there's this huge battle going on. And you think about when, when Israel, when we, when we don't, keep the Torah, the land becomes infertile and it spits us out just like it did the nations before us. Oh, he said that the, the land becomes dry and hard, you know, almost just like it's complete stone. There's no soft soil that we can grow out of. Wow. And so you think about this, when we search our heart for the evil inclination to do battle with it, it's like we're removing, we're removing the, uh, the, the Canaanites, the, the seven, seven nations from the land, if you will. Ooh. That are holding us back, and through keeping Torah and turn about that, we're able to turn a stony heart into soft soil that we could grow, grow uh, beautiful fruits for the kingdom of of Shemayim. Oh, man, that's beautiful. man, and we have one more. All right, one more, which would be Micah, Micha. Prophet Micah. And I, I believe uh, you're going to very enjoy the reference here. Uh-oh. I know this is one of your, your favorite verses. It says, 613 precepts were told to Moshe. Micah came and stressed three. As it is written, it has been told to you what Hashem requires of you. Only do justly to love kindness and to walk humbly before your God. Micah 6, 8. That's from Machot 24a. Wow. Love it. <laughs> so there is just some brief background on these um, 
these three uh, three great great prophets, Navim, who are um, who are speaking to us in this half Torah of Shabbat Shuvah. Amen. Uh, quick swerve before we go on to the next segment. Um, I'm looking in Devarim 28. And you're talking about the earth become the land becoming like a, a stony heart. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, it's interesting. We just got out of Parsha Kitavo and Parsha Netavim, and now we're in Parsha Vayelik and getting ready for Shabbat Shuva and Devarim 28, starting around 22, literally says Hashem will smite you with consumption and fever and inflammation, and it keeps going. And then it says this um, on verse 23, the heaven which is over your head shall be bronze. Literally, the word is nekoshet, which is like the color of the mizbeach in the courtyard of the Beit HaMikdash. And then it literally says, and the earth which is under you shall become iron. And it uses the word barzel which is like a really, really hard, hard metal. So, uh, yeah. So when you talk about stony heart, that's what happens when we reject Hashem. Like the land literally becomes that. Can't grow anything on it. Man, man. That's incredible. Thank you for the, the source tag, the beautiful elucidation to the uh, the past parshas. It's always, always helpful. You know, just taking a scope out and just, you know, especially during this time, remind you of where we've been. Oh, you know, yes. Remind us of, of our of our source. Yes. You know, we like we, we pray in the uh, Avinu Melchendo prayer. Ooh. You know, he's our our father and our king. Well, you know, you think of a father, it's like loving. You think of a king, it's like you know the harsh ruler. Or, you know, what do they? What what really is it? It's it's about he is he is our source. He's a very source. Amen. He's a source of where we get our commandments. Our king. He's a source of where we get. You know who who's begotten us, and so if you're you're praying that and looking for an idea to un- understand, you know, is he like this this king, this ruler, or is he like this loving father? You know, it's yes. He's think of him as both these things as he is our very source that we're coming back to our father, a source of our being, and our king, the source of all our all our um, all the things we follow, all the commandments we follow. All right. Wow. Amen. Hmm. Baruch Hashem. Right. All right, so let's uh, get into our half tour overview. Overview. <laughs> I don't know. I'm overview. trying to think of some uh, some some flashy little words in transition here. <laughs> yeah, because <laughs> I love story time. I like story story time is bring to. I don't know what we do overview. Uh, <laughs> But that's good. Overview? I don't know. Uh, we'll work on it. We'll work on it. <laughs> work on it. Develop it our time. Yes. <laughs> All right. <laughs> so it has, and uh, so says the, the half Torah is made up of selections for the writings of three prophets, Hoshea, Micah, and Yol. It is the half Torah sign for the reading of the Sabbath of Repentance, which we talked about between Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur. The theme which is common to the three readings is the theme of Teshuvah, of course. Hoshea pleads with the people in the northern kingdoms to change their ways and return to God. If they return, God will forgive them, and they will live in their land in peace and amid plenty. God's love and mercy are without end. There is always hope for those who repent. And then in Micah, Micah was a prophet who pleaded for the poor. 
He criticized a society which lived in luxury and at the expense of the suffering poor and underprivileged among them. Micah assures the people that God forgives and is merciful to those who turn from wrongdoing. And then lastly, we have Joel. Joel speaks to his people of the destruction which threatens them. They must hold back from rejoicing and repent with sincerity. Let the shofar be blown and let the people be brought together that they may be sanctified again. Wow. You know, the common denominator in all three of those is this idea of there. there is no... No doubt that when you return to Hashem, He's got you. Like yes, He like there like there's hope, there's restoration, and it doesn't matter who you are, rich or poor, young or old. Like Hashem will bring you in and and take care of you if you make teshuva. If you return to Him truly, wow. Oh man, just like I, I love that. You know, that really turn to Him like He's He's got you. You know, like all these other people, like you have Micah, like um, Hoshia, excuse me, Hoshia uh, preached to people who were um, essentially like idol worshippers. You have Ephraim; they put their trust in idols and their in their great armies and stuff of that nature. Man. And you have Hoshia, and they were putting their trust in their their luxury, their wealth. And then you have uh, Joel. It, it sounds like you know. That he was talking to people who were putting their trust in their happiness and their rejoicing, which is excellent quality. However, like it means nothing if it's not in line with Hashem. None of those. Well, especially adultery. That's just bad all the way around. <laughs> I don't know. I just feel the need to be real for a moment if I could. So Go for it, man. Reality this is tag. Reality tag. Reality tag. <laughs> It's kind of like, I, I kind of feel just heavy thinking about it because what I'm about to say is going to be very, very disturbing. But, um, you know, when you talk about the people that Hosea was making proclamations to, like asking them to return to Hashem, they were idol worshipers. You know, it wasn't too long ago in my life that I was so caught up in the in the festivals of the world like the big ones you know with the tree like having the presents and having the mistletoe which are all just thinking about all that now it's just like oh my goodness i can't believe but growing up in that spending so much time you know uh anticipating that day once a year and um you know apple cider all this kind of stuff and then you know shalloween with the dressing up like you know whatever i wanted to dress up like didn't care if it was evil or good and um you know where my heart was especially the food i used to eat you know just whatever unkosher like it doesn't matter like i i ate it you know and it was just like man i just love this and to think that whole time that I was going through all of those cycles and seasons and phases and uh, occurrences, I thought with all of who I am that I was okay. I thought that, you know, I'm here with, I'm here with Hashem. Like he's got me, you know, I know who the Messiah is. I know who God is. And, you know, there's a whole lot of stuff in the front of the book that, 
it just don't really make too much sense to me but that's cool i mean because i got the back half down this is great you know and like to think Hashem let me continue on and exist and he continued to bless me and continued to draw me near to him, even with all of that going on. And then upon conversion and upon processing out through sanctification and growing daily with his yearly cycle, like Hashem just blows me away with how merciful he is and how patient he is and how just, you know, it's like he didn't come down on me and like smite me and be like, don't eat this and don't eat that and don't celebrate this and don't celebrate that. But he was just like, uh, you're celebrating that and you shouldn't be. I wish you wouldn't, you know, and if you would just listen to my son, if you would listen to my servants, if you would listen to me. If you would come to me, you know, see that I was broken for you. And he waited until I turned to him. And now being Torah observant, having these opportunities to share all of these podcasts and all of the the Haftarahs, just seeing the reality and the substance of truly making Teshuva and turning away from all these things like Hashem. Like, I don't know, whoever is listening and hearing this right now, like, man, just if you are having any kind of stirring in your heart whatsoever, please just just step over there. Just just step across the Jordan and and it's going to be beautiful. I just wanted to share that because, I mean, I can't believe how much Hashem has allowed me to, you know, grow and transition from and through. And I know I'm not the only one, but I, I just can't help but think about that right now. As you talk about the people that these prophets are, are teaching and, and ministering to. And it's kind of like if we if we don't connect with that, then we would lose so much of this depth in this meaning right now. Man, man I, I just have to say, like, I, I appreciate the realness. I appreciate like these these connections you're making and just like Bizrashim, we're going to. It's 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 incredible, you know the the synchro, synchronicity, if you will, if that's a word. I'm not yes. sure if I'm saying it right, it, but it's now is a word. It has become it's now it's a word. It's, it's been dubbed on the half tour podcast. <laughs> yes, sir. It is written. It's sealed. But we have we, we have this idea of that we get right in, later in the Micah, where it's talking about Hashem's traits of mercy, and everything you talked about about you know how He should have smited us, and not not just you, but but me and others, like in every everything we did when we were still in in our sins, you know, that mm-hmm. he should have, he could have, and he should have even smited us while we were still in our sins. But he gave us that that time. He gave us time to develop and 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 to turn back to him. And so, man, I I, I appreciate the realness. I appreciate you know the spirit of of gratitude and and just honesty that you you know evoking out. Amen. Bless be his name. Amen. All right, so uh, real quick, uh, line by line, what it's talking about. So we have Hashiach, uh, 14.2.4, the call to Teshuvah. Mm-hmm. Uh, 5.9, to nine, the Almighty's response to the Teshuvah. 14.10, the Almighty's ways are just. Micah, 7.18-19, Hashem's traits of mercy. And 20, Hashem grants mercy because of his oath to the forefathers and in their merit. Uh, Joel 2.11-17, the prophet predicts a plague of locusts and urges communal fasting and Teshuvah. 
18 to 20, Hashem's response to the Shuva. And the last of our half Torah, 21-27, is about the future abundance and how we are satiated. All right. Nice. All right, where are we going first? All right, so let's just talk about, um, first of all, how this is um, Shabbat Shuva. Right, it actually gets it from this first uh, portion in Hoshia, where it says Shuvah Israel. It says, "Return Israel to Hashem." Shuva Israel. Shuva to Hashem, your God, for your stumbling in the fortune is due to your sin. <laughs> oh wow! And so this is him. He's addressing uh, like, like the ten tribes. Man, um, did he really just come out and say though that? Your your issues are happening because of your sins. Yep, he was a he was a straight straight shooter. Wow. <laughs> uh, it, it mentions elsewhere, um, you know, that and other commentaries that some people thought he was him and Eliyahu were just like very very harsh and they didn't really care about Israel, but it wasn't necessarily the case, hmm. you know. But you know, it was their their personalities and the. Uh oh. Technical difficulties already. Stand by. All right, you there? Yep, shalom. All right, shalom. Welcome back. Uh, technical difficulties, but we keeping it going. Awesome, at, man. Uh, Where we just to let you know, time check, we're at 33 minutes and 25 seconds. The remaining? Or? No, we've. that's how long we've been going. All right. All right. But you were in the middle of talking about Eliyahu and Hosea. How they were straight shooters and people thought they didn't care about Israel, but they really did. They really did. You know, they wouldn't have endured what they endured if they didn't. Then they have uh, love of Shem. We have we have this idea um, in something interesting. In 14.3, says, Take along with you your words, but do a confession, and return them to Hashem. Implore him. Forgive all sin as an atonement. Accept our good deeds. Let us pray with Vidui, confession of our lips, instead of sacrificing bulls. Vidui, come on. And so it's just the idea of where we get the, you know, how our prayers, especially the, the three three prayers, Shemani Ezra, we pray daily, are in place of the sacrificial offerings. Yes, sir. And they have this idea of bringing atonement, not just for ourselves, but if you really think about it, we're we're really covering our brothers, and we're covering the nations Ooh. through doing this, through through going to these prayers as as we would go to the Beit and, and offer sacrifices. But there's something really interesting in here, and it says, "Take with you words." And so this is idea of taking is like this unusual. Um, why why does it say take explicitly? Why? There's two offerings. I'm glad you asked. There's, there's two offerings of explanations by the Chavaz Chaim. Two Mashiachs. Two offerings. Oh, man. It says, uh, it's practical advice. It says, before uttering a prayer, one should review in one's mind what he is about to say. Mm. For example, in Shemone Ezra, one should think, I'm now going to praise Hashem for reviving the dead. And applies to the other 18 blessings, as well as Birka Hamzan and other prayers. The advice is contained within this phrase, Take to heart the words you are about to say by first devoting a few moments of your attention to them. There's some practical advice for, you know, helping us with Chavanah and our prayers. And the second explanation is, it may refer to our thoughts after the Tifla. So just like occasionally, you know, we, we say our prayers and we go on about our day and, and we forget about what we just 
you know, pray. We forget about our offering to Hashem. And so it comes in and say, Take the words of the Tefillah with you wherever you go and remember them. Oh my goodness. And then it goes on to say, Then you will certainly do Teshuva. Wow. <laughs> yep. Uh. So we have this, these ideas, you know, just like before, before having my word say, and afterwards, you know, remember. And if we do this, we will be led to Teshuvah. It will, it will help. It will help our hearts resonate on the words and, and become softened by them. Man. Tag real quick. <laughs> All right. Please. Okay, so Rabbi gave uh, a drosh like two weeks ago about Teshuva and how the angels do Teshuva before Hashem. And what that really means is there's this constant turning that they're doing. And I immediately thought about the sword that constantly turns this way and that way that guards the entrance to the Garden of Eden. Oh, incredible. And so putting those two ideas together with what you just said, man. Okay, so Teshuva becomes this whole new like level of perception for me now because it's like in order to live moment by moment in Teshuva, it's remembering the words that you bring to Hashem. And then whatever you bring to Hashem Whenever you leave and go on about your day, you continue to think about it. And if you stop thinking about it, you turn and think about it. So it's like you're doing this this thing where it's like, oh, I forgot about what I brought. Like, let me re-go back, you know. As soon as you start doing that, you're like back with a shim again. And it's just like, oh, it's been like five or ten minutes, you know. What else did I bring to Hashem? You know, and it's just like, wow, you know, and like through these increments of your day, not saying that it needs to be like on top of each other because it will be eventually, but you're getting that buildup going. And I think that's just like, that's insane because that's what the sword is doing on the path to the tree of life, which we now get to partake of through Mashiach Yeshua. And it's just like, so what does that mean? That means we're walking and we are not being impeded by the flaming sword but we're emulating the flaming sword just like we're emulating just like we're emulating the angels and go that is incredible uh just wow okay so the sword right there we think of it as this thing this fiery thing to keep us out but behind it secretly it's this idea like it's like this this secret signal that is given us the back and forth of the sword is like the, the returning, the going forth and the return of the sword is what he's hitting us. This is what I need you to do. Almost kind of like a, you have the, the air, air flight people who kind of bring in the airplanes. They're motioning back and forth. Yes. That's what the sword is. This is how you get back into Ganadin by Shuva, by, by the moving forward and returning back to me. Oh, that's, my word. <laughs> I think that's incredible just on, on so many levels. And... Man, I, I, like I was, I'm so consumed with this idea that I, I, I forgot what I was going to say next after that, but that is, oh, is I'm going to jump out the window. So, wow. <laughs> wow. Um, you mentioned, oh, man, what was, what happened? Another thing that I wanted to tag on, 
tag on to the angels but, turning. Yes, uh, the angels, the angels turning. This whole idea of of teshuva. Um, there's also this idea in Hashem's response to teshuva. Oh, I, I know. What I was gonna say okay. also uh, about this whole symbol, right? There's this idea of when Hashem is going to destroy Bnei Israel because they made the golden calf. Mm-hmm. Moshe says to them. Uh, Moshe has this dialogue with Hashem, and Hashem tells him. He says, "Leave me alone, that I may destroy the people." And just uh, just a plain reading of the text, without really any forethought, we think, "Wow, man, what a what a harsh God we have!" You know, chasve shalom. We don't. Right. But what he's actually saying there, he's actually giving Moshe a hint. He's giving a loophole. He says, "Leave me alone, that I may destroy the people." So, what does that imply? What if I don't leave you alone? It's probably what's going on through Ooh. Moshe's thought. What if I don't leave you alone? Ooh. Then you won't. Oh. Was telling him is how you how to save the people, mm. just like the angels were waving the sword back and forth. It's this the secret signal that's being given underneath this this cloak of just hiddenness. Like like if you think of that, like this whole idea of like Mashiach bearing our sins. It's like he's cloaked in our sins, but but it's like this secret sim- symbol, like that he's he's going to redeem us because wow. there's this inner beauty, inner truth, inner you know inner sacrifice within all that. Man. And so, what if on we this whole don't idea, leave him alone? Wow. Yes, we don't. What if we don't? That means you won't destroy them. And so, we have this idea of how Hashem's response to Teshuvah, after this Teshuvah is made, after this case is made to return to him, and beseeching, you know, on behalf of ourselves as well as others, says this on commentary in verse 5, If an individual does Teshuvah, the whole world is forgiven mm. to a certain extent because of him. We learn this from the beginning of the words of this chapter, Shuva Israel, return of Israel, referring to each Jew, which is written in the singular. Then the text actually switches to the plural, Alpa Meshuvatam, I will forgive their rebellion, which implies that the Almighty forgives many on account of one individual who did Shuva. Oh my word. And so I'm, I'm thinking about this, and I'm thinking about this in regards to Mashiach. Yep. And when he's asking him, Lord, teach us how to pray. Ooh. And what does he say? He says, forgive us. Forgive us our debts. Come on now. What was he doing there? What was he doing? Doing teshuva that the whole world may be forgiven. Mm-hmm. And he's teaching his disciples, do teshuva so the world may be forgiven just like me. And not that the Mashiach would uh, be sinful or someone in need of teshuva, but it's a, it's a principle of the Sadiq the righteous one who descends for the sake of essence to attach himself so much to the Jewish people, to Israel, that he sees their their flaws, their sins as his own. Are, are we going there? Are we really doing yeah. this right now? Um, I just want to kind of swerve that in. Yeah, I think we elucidated it before, but I just want to swerve that in there uh, just for clarification on why he would have said, forgive us. Uh, you know, you know, I got a tag on that. Hey, man, go for it. All right, so this is from um, our beloved Benny B. Pulling it up right now. This is from his parasha, Nitzavim Vayelik. And he is talking about the Zodic making Teshuva. And uh, he connects it, believe it or not, to the mikvah of Yeshua with Yochanan. Let's see here. Stand by. I got, I got, we could do this. We got this. Where is it? Okay. So basically he did the Yoma 85 passage 
or Yom 86, Slika, which is what you just quoted, um, believe it or not, when it says, Great is Teshuvah for, because for the sake of a single person who repents, the entire world is forgiven. Okay, so we established that. So now, check this out. It says, Rabbi Zadok HaKohen of Lublin from Zitkat Hazadik. 159. This is what it says. This happens because the penitent awakens the thoughts of Teshuva in the hearts of others. But not everyone has the capacity to be this one person. Not everyone has this capacity. Furthermore, it says, whose repentance can occasion forgiveness for the entire world. So not everybody can do that. Such a person has not yet existed for that unique person listen to this phrase will only be mashiach ben david say what so yama 86 says that it is a single person but then zidkad hazadik comes back and says yeah that one person that's mashiach so then you got matthew 3 13 through 15, Yeshua coming to Yochanan to be immersed. Now, what is Yochanan's immersion? It is the immersion of Teshuvah. So Yeshua is coming to get immersed in Teshuvah. And it's just like, why does Yeshua need to be immersed in Teshuvah? Well, he's the only one who can make Teshuvah to save the world. So literally, at this mikvah, not only does Yeshua take on the priesthood, to become the Kohen Gadol, not only is he taking on the kingship, because that's where you crown a king, is in the river, by the water, and then he's making Shuva, he's saving the world right there, because his repentance already counts for saving the world. <laughs> but the thing with Hashem is he doesn't just do one thing. You know, it wasn't just the Akedah of Yitzhak. It wasn't just the plagues against Egypt. It wasn't just the descent of Yosef into the prison, into the pit, and rising into Pharaoh, and then saving all of Egypt. It wasn't just crossing the Yom Suf. It wasn't just coming to Mount Sinai and saying, nah, save Anishma. It wasn't just destroying the golden calf and making a second set of tablets. It wasn't just crowning Yehoshua with a new leader to lead the people across the Jordan into the promised land. It wasn't just King David making a way for the temple to be built by Melech Shlomo. And it wasn't just the destruction of that temple and sending us into exile to bring us back and build another temple to go back into exile it wasn't just mashiach's body on the stake hashem is so deep with everything that he does to the point you're just like how much atonement how much salvation does hashem really make and does he really perform this is why he is the master of salvations the master of consolations because guess what our salvation is deeper than we could ever know. And it's not just one thing. Hashem is salvation after salvation. Hashem is grace after grace. Hashem is atonement after atonement. This is why the Kohen Gadol wears at least about eight layers of clothes. You're just like, why all these layers? Why so much, you know, detail? Because that's how Hashem rolls. 
So anyway, the final point that I wanted to make on this, Yeshua being the Zodiac making Teshuvah because he doesn't need to, it says that in the same source here, no, different source, uh, this is from the Zodiac, and this is from the writings of Rabbi Yaakov Yosef of, of Pauloni. And it says that the guilt of a Zodiac may be a guilt of complete fiction. The guilt of a Zodiac may be a guilt of complete fiction. It is a guilt which, in fact, does not exist at all. But there are times when the Zodiac must go beyond, go beyond what is just and in love except the plight of the people because you just said that too get you some and then he says except the plight of the people as his own though no fault of his own is involved lakute edzot the true zadikim atone for sins as it is written but the wise man will bring atonement mishle sixteen fourteen. end of my tag amen i love it so that uh, dropping it down about the Sadiq, how he attached himself, the whole idea of his teshuva and our teshuva becoming his teshuva and his teshuva becoming our teshuva. Wow. Man, that's just an incredible, incredible picture. Selah. <laughs> For sure, man. You know, it's it's interesting that after it talks about this whole idea of this teshuva, this, this commentary about this individual doing teshuva, it goes in and, and talks about how it says, I will be like dew to B'nai Israel. They will bloom like a rose and strike their roots firmly into the earth like a cedar tree on Mount Lebanon. Amen. And it goes in this idea, this question of what is the significance of the similes dew, a rose, and roots of cedar trees? And since a dew, because Hoshia previously described them as a dried up spring because they lost their spiritual vitality. So conversely, when we do teshuva, we are spiritually refreshed as if by a layer of dew. So there's this idea of why do and, and not rain. Why? And so it mentions that do falls daily without fail. Oh. Just like Hashem's love for B'nai Israel is constant. <laughs> and then also it has no it's it do is always beneficial. Official. Unlike like like rain. If you have rain, it might be like a rainy day out and you know, yes, the crops are getting their water and all that stuff, but maybe you had to had to go out to the store, go do some outdoor activity, and the rain is keeping you from that. Ooh. And so this is this represents Hashem's renewed love for B'nai Israel that will be good in every respect. It's like do. It's not going to keep you from doing anything. It's just going to be this constant reminder of Hashem's love and His provision. <laughs> and this is this is what this water teshuva brings. You know, the pun in that is it's do, like the do will help you do what you need to do. Right, teshuva, just do it. it <laughs> wow, just, oh my God. But, but do not water it down. Oh, wow. <laughs> so next, next we have... Next? Um, rose, next. <laughs> Upcoming, no, a rose's beauty. So the talk mentions a rose. Why a rose? Why? Because it is clearly visible amongst thorns. Ooh. It stands out. It's considered the queen of all flowers. And so like when a Jews keep the Torah, they stand out among the nations. Mm. So it's a beautiful thing. And so you have this idea, you know, yes, where you keep a where you where you um you your your tekel, you know, your zit seats. You know, depending on if you're a woman, of course. Right. And like this this is beautiful. You standing out, you being that light, you being a Jew 
and proud. That is what's beautiful. You are you are the queen, right? You're like the the rose, the the queen or, or king, if you will, of all flowers. Clearly visible, clearly beautiful. That and then is amazing. <laughs> yes. Wow. To give encouragement to to rep to rep your Judaism, then then just remember that Hashem sees when you stand out. You know, it's a beautiful, beautiful sight in His eyes. And there's also this idea, you know, a custom of bringing your wife flowers on Shabbat and mentions that generally we're too busy throughout the week to appreciate, you know, the beauty of flowers and greenery and stuff like that. And, but when, when Shabbos arrives, we have more time to enjoy the roses, beauty and sweet fragrance. To stop and smell the, the roses. Yes. Stop and smell the roses on Shabbat. So similarly... <laughs> The nations presently do not appreciate B'nai Israel's exclusive status. But when Mashiach comes, the Jews will be admired for devoting themselves to Hashem's Torah. And so I thought that was interesting how Mashiach is compared to the Shabbat. When the rose is Israel and how it's appreciated on Shabbat. And how the nations are only going to appreciate us, you know, when Mashiach comes. When it's so time I think to I'm, stop and smell the on the Lord of the Sabbath. Wow. You know why? Because he's he's compared to the Sabbath. Man. So going on this whole, the rose's fragrance is a symbol for Torah learning and good deeds, which is our ultimate purpose of creation. Man. And then lastly, we have the roots of Lebanon, which is what we're compared to. Um, is like the, It's like a powerful tree that cannot be moved. The roots are firmly entrenched. Steadfast, immovable. Steadfast. Similarly, Hashem will one day firmly plant the Jews in Eretz Israel. We will flourish forever. And so this has come right after, right after, you know, you have this, the Sadiq doing Teshuvah for us and us doing Teshuvah to abide in Him, to walk in the way of our ultimate Rabbi, Mashiach Yeshua. And so you have this idea after these things, you have this three, you have the dew, the rose, and the tree. Wow, you know, three things, the, huh? the dew leading up to water the rose, water you standing up and and being a, a being a bold and good, solid representative of Judaism, where your roots are firmly in the ground, where you're holding your ground, holding your beliefs, and not being assimilated into the culture of Ooh. this exile. <laughs> And of course, right after that, it talks about it talks about this olive tree whose leaves remain moist all year. Just the idea of olive tree leaves remain fresh all year round. And so again, this idea of just this constant, deep rooted—you're firmly established. Your 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 leaves not going to wither. Can I can I source tag? Love it. Go for it. The letter to the Corinthians. It's chapter fifteen, verse fifty-eight. This is commonly called 1 Corinthians, but really we don't know which one it is, but it is the first in the series that we have in the canon over here. And it says in 1 Corinthians 15, 58, Therefore, my dear brothers and sisters, stand firm, let nothing move you. Always give yourselves fully to the work of Hashem. Which we know what the work of Hashem is. It's called Avoda, which is prayer, Torah, Shuva. Then it says, because you know that your labor in Hashem is not in vain. Because guess what? You're an olive tree and the leaves don't wither. 
Yes. Love it, man. Cool. And what happens after this, we have the verse. It says, And eight, those who are in Hashem's shadow will rest. They will revive. So again, Hashem's shadow, right? Shadow is a good shadow. thing. Shadow. <laughs> so when yes, it says, you know, thing. the uh, Gospels are a shadow of the things to come. And the reality is Mashiach, that's a good thing. Mm. Mashiach is a good thing. Mm. So, quick throw on there. They will revive like grain does and blossom like the vine. Their mention will be like that of the superior wine in Mount Lebanon. So, it goes on talking about how uh, Jewish nations will be gathered in by Mashiach, uh, Yeshavu, and live under his guidance. Now, all these things are alluded to Mashiach under his guidance. The dead will be revived and showered with goodness. And its merits will be constantly remembered before Shem, like the wine offering poured in the Beit HaMikdash. Ooh. Of course, Lebanon is another name for the Beit HaMikdash. Yes, it Because our sage says in Bamdabar Rabbah 10.1 that Lebanon, interpret Lebanon as the place that cleanses, like Levon, whitens the Jewish people's transgressions. Mm-mm. So there's another interpretation of this, though. Another one. And I believe it, it also kind of carries back to you know what what rabbi griffin has mentioned before about what it meant when they the romans put the crown of thorns on mashiach like the crowns of the letters you know represent the the righteous convert to come in yes. to the covenant so it says chazal chazal teach this verse refers specifically to the garim the righteous converts and it's interesting it uses the word like dare here you have like the whole idea of Gareth the Shav and all this this idea, but right here they're talking about them being actual converts, righteous converts, oh. not people in between, not people just keeping Noahide laws, anything like that, but specifically righteous converts. Man, carrying on from that, it says it's hinted in the phrase Yeshavu Yeshven Basilo, those uh, from the other nations who will return to rest in the shade of the Shekhanah, will become like grain. It says, in what, what, what way will they become like grain? They will become essential, essential to the Jewish people as grain is to the human diet. Seriously? Or another, they will be proficient in Gemara, which is called grain, since it's vital for the Jews' spiritual sustenance. That was uncalled for. There's, there's more, but wait, there's more. <laughs> says, the sages further explain they'll blossom like a vine. They'll become an integral part of the Jewish people who are compared to a vine. They'll become proficient in the Midrashic part of the Torah that is likened to the fruits of the vine. Their mention is like the wine of Lebanon. The Garims, the righteous converts' new Jewish names, are as pleasing before me as wine offerings on the altar. It mentions this this idea that the converts cannot incorporate their father's name into their own, for they must sever all connections to their non-Jewish families. So idea that uh, they are dear. Whoa, 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 whoa. Dear to Hashem in their own right, like the wine offered on the altar whose importance is due to the superior quality and not to the fact that it stems from a particular distinguished plant. Hasis, you, you cannot speed bump the beginning of that paragraph. I did. You, you just... Okay. <laughs> All right. We can elucidate on it. I just wanted to no, get through it all. We don't, but, need, to, we don't need to elucidate... As much as just the re- the realization that you literally just said that the convert severs their tie from their father's house. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What? <laughs> it's crazy. Because, I mean, we live that, you know, at Sar Shalom. It's just like, 
yeah, so my family, not not really here. Maybe they may they be here one day, Brukashem. You know. I mean, anyway, you just said that Lot's wife, don't look back. Oh, because you'll get assaulted. Don't get assaulted. Oh. <laughs> but it's it's interesting, you know, this last phrase in here says like the wine offered on the altar whose importance is due to its superior quality and mm. not to the fact that it stems from a particularly distinguished plant. Mm-hmm. So it's the idea that it's the, the quality of the wine, like the quality of the character, like you're willing to give up everything. It's not that you, because of some blood lineage, that makes you a good Jew. It's your service to a shim. It's essentially what it's saying here. So anyone gives you a hard time about lineage and anything like that, just remind them that it's due to the superior quality of the wine offered on the altar. Ooh. And not to the fact that it stems from a particularly distinguished plant. Mm, give them some cheese with that wine. Mm-hmm. I need it. Mm. Okay. That was that was like one of your most violent outbursts that I've ever heard you say. So, uh. <laughs> so that rebuff is sharing that very violent information. It's about to get worse. I mean, <laughs> 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 All right, where are we going? We go into um, right here, 1410. So the Gemara explains that, um, well, before beforehand, we'll, we'll just read the verse. He who is wise will understand my words or proof, and he who thinks logically will comprehend them. Since the Shem's ways are straightforward, the Sadakim walk in them and will be given eternal life while the Reshim will stumble by refraining to go in those ways. Mm. Therefore, they will ultimately be delivered to Gehenna. This is 14.10. And it goes on saying how, in the Gemara, this explains this, this basuk, this verse. Um, Even in identical acts of performing a mitzvah, one person may be categorized as a sadiq and another as wicked. Because this, how is this possible? They did the mitzvah. It goes in to talking about the intention. So it gives the example of the Pesach sacrifice. Mm-hmm. One had in mind that he wished to perform the mitzvah of eating the Korban Pesach. He is classified as a Sadiq. But the second the second Jew ate his share as though it was just an ordinary piece of meat. Oh, this my word. Russian. And so it just brings to mind, one should always make a middle note. I am about to fulfill my creator's commandment. And just this importance of proper t- intentions. Is this why we say for the sake of the unification... I think I think that's a great part of why we say that and why we say the blessings and and why we're supposed to uh, uh, like kind of just graze over what we're reading and just meditate on that so we can meditate on it as we're saying it. Wow, man. Okay, you you did say it was going to get way worse. Oh, never way doubted better. You. <laughs> All right. And way better. And 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 uh, so quote prayers, we uh, mentioned the 13 attributes yes. when we're in a opinion. And uh, there's this, this idea, it goes in back talking to me when you, when you were talking about you're just being really real, um, transparent us in the, the audience about where you've been and how that relates to this part and how that relates to scripture and how that relates to where you are now and how Hashem could have stricken you and all of us, really, yeah. when we were. Uh, falling away, but in his great mercy, he sustained us. Oh. And so, moving into the book of Micah, we have we have this idea that uh, Micah 7, 18 says, Who is a powerful God like you, who forgives intentional sin and overlooks even the rebellious sin of the remembrance of his inheritance? 
he does not withhold on his anger for forever, for he desires kindness. And so it mentions this parallel that this this Pesachim, uh, these verses of Micah actually resemble those of the 13 qualities, divine mercy, the attributes, revealed to Moshe in Shemot 34, 6 and 7, when he asked, reveal me your glory. It says, and according to some explanation, encompasses in them all. And so there's this interesting, uh, interesting story that I know you're very familiar with that talks about in, the, in Chazal's words, Hashem wrapped himself in a talit and called out these divine attributes. Hashem, Hashem, merciful and gracious God. And after enumerating these 13 traits of mercy, he instructed Moshe, whenever B'nai Israel will follow this procedure, I will not refuse them. Mm. Hashem did not promise. This is the key point, though, because this is not just a magic phrase that you throw out there to get this automatic forgiveness. This is not like, you know, this is like the original Lord's Prayer, okay? Some people need to misuse so that they can be forgiven and absolved and saved and all that. Wow. But it's not meant to be like that. It's not magic words because it, he, Hashem, he did not promise that as long as Jews recite this list, they'll be answered. But rather, he said, as long as they act in accordance with these qualities, oh, they are assured my positive response. Man, act in accordance. Act in accordance. Live it out. This is not something to be read. It's something to be lived out. Ooh. Um, like when we're Torah, it's not just something meant to be read. Yes, that's amazing. Keep doing it. The point is to Man. the point is to live it out. You know, that's what's so beautiful about you know celebrating the Yom Tovs instead of celebrating the festivals of the world. In celebrating the Yom Tovs, you actually get to live out Torah. Amen. And I think this is a good part, uh, these 13 attributes that we're supposed to live out. This is why Yeshua was always about, you know, character refinement, teaching Musar, um, highlighting this act, these, these acts of mercy, how we're supposed to view people, how we're supposed to treat people. And if you really go back to it, it really comes down to Hashem's 13 attributes of mercy. And so it goes on talking about these, these, these phrases in here and... And likening them to these thirteen attributes is the third, the first attribute here, Miel Kamocha, who is a god like you, says the name Kel, the Aleph and the Lamed. Mm-hmm. We're just saying it in uh, in a in a fashion where it would be not disrespectful to to Hashem. It's this is a combination of both unequaled might and mercy. So Hashem allows a human being to sin and has sustains him even while he sins. So he allows him to. to to sin, he gives us free choice, right? Because he doesn't want to be, be robots, right? No one. It's not love. It's if it's not willing, and but he gives us the ability to, to to sin, and he gives us the faculties and strengths. He still allows us to have our right faculties and our right strength, but he sustains us even while we sin, even though we don't deserve it. And so we have this idea that you know if. We're, we're speaking Lashon we ought to be deprived of the faculty of speech. If we eat non-kosher food, the Midrash goes on to say, we ought to choke on it if Ooh. we intentionally do these things. Ooh. And it's just like, but he allows us to be sustained through it. He allows us the free choice. Um, and he allows us to do this so we, we can turn back to him. And this is a huge, huge point of reflection. Because it says, when, when if a shim tolerates all these insults, how much more should we? says, you tolerate incessant insults from your creatures, talking about Hashem, and in your great mercy, continue to sustain them and grant them all their needs. And it just goes on talking about how this, this whole idea, the divine trait of forbearance, 
with sinners teaches that we must train ourselves similarly to bear insults from our fellow men without becoming angry. Goes and talk about how this is this is seen in Moshe and Aaron and Korach's rebellion. This is seen when King David gets cursed, but he was not only silent, but he was actually serene in his heart, and therefore named a Chassid, a saintly person. And this is this is one of the reasons and where we get the inspiration in our daily Shmoni Ezra um, to ask for divine help to achieve such restraint, where we say, let our soul be as dust to all. Me, I, I can't help but, but think about Mashiach's words, you know, like, turn the other cheek, pray for those who persecute you. Man, keep going, bro, keep going. All right. So we have this 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 next part. It says, no se ayon, where it's, it's talking about he forgives intentional sin. It says, he bears the accuser generated by the sin, restraining him from meeting out justice. So it's talking about how when we sin, there's this negative spiritual force, like this this negative energy, this uh, demonic destructive angel, if you will, keeps keeps coming every time we sin, every time we do something against Hashem's Torah. But what Hashem does, He bears the accuser that we generate by our own sins, and He 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 stops him from meeting out the meeting out justice for what, our wrong that we did. Mm-hmm. And then it goes in talking about um, He overlooks even the rebellious sins, and like this is like. Like, on the other hand, Hashem discards the sin totally so that it will no longer exist. And really, this depends on us. Like, like we said earlier, when we repent out of fear, our, our fear is, it's like it's, it's, it's absolved. And when we repent out of love, it's turned into merits. But it's all in how we view it. If the sinner views that he feels his transgression, like, like he's slighted Hashem's honor, his teshuva is much more profound than as if he views his sins as something light and something just... You know, like, oh, I just did it unintentionally. We should always view our, our, our sins and what we've done wrong as, like, as something very, very big. And we should feel the weight of what we've done. Amen. Because when we do this, Hashem annuls the sin completely. Amen. So it's not just, like, Him just annulling rebellious sin just just because He gets rid of all sin. It's, 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 it's about how we reproach that sin. And another another idea about this is whose sin does Hashem forgive? That of a person of superior character traits who ignores the offenses of others against him. And so we have this idea that think about this on a practical note: those who offend you, those who offend you uh, deliberately, whatever, you can get mad about it, and you could destroy yourself in that anger and that bitterness. You can destroy others with with the evil you speak about that person, or you could look at that for what it is. It's an opportunity for atonement to annul your past sins, to annul these harsh decrees that are going to be placed on you. Right? It's mida konegan mida, measure for measure. You have the opportunity to forgive unconditionally someone who's wronged you. How much more will your Father in Heaven, who's so much more gracious, so much more merciful than you, forgive you? Wow. Yeshua completely helped us with that when he said let us remember that if we're standing next to our sacrifice and we have something against our brother leave your sacrifice at the altar go fix it amen and not only that if you don't forgive the one who sins against you your father in heaven won't forgive your sin and then when he taught us how to pray he said Forgive those who have sinned against us. 
just as we ask you, Hashem, to forgive us that as we have sinned against you. And just more more elucidations to what Mashiach is saying are in this this next next idea where it says Basharit uh It's talking about uh this is the point where it says the remnant of his inheritance. And it's talking about how Hashem is lenient because he considers all Jews his relatives and how Sha'arit is family. And so, you know, I'm thinking what Mashiach is saying. It says, who is my mother? Who is my brother? Those who oh. deal the will of the Father in heaven. Come on, man. And so it's just this idea, the little Musar note for us to take with us on these 10 days. We must learn to conduct ourselves similarly and tolerant of our fellow Jews untoward conduct because they are our family. And so we have the Sharit is also this idea of like, it's like a leftover. Sharit, leftover. One who sees himself, considers himself as a leftover, i.e. he's humble and unassuming, then his sins will be forgiven. Amen. And then this expression um, that Hashem, the next expression, Hashem will often relent if someone fails to do Teshuvah. Right? And then after that, like hoping that in his grace that it will motivate the person to become better out of gratitude, much like you were talking about earlier. Like he, he, he allowed it. And like even for me in, in, in many areas, you know, he's allowed it so that we could return in gratitude. Now, isn't it interesting that that opportunity, that window of oppor- that space there is used for saying because of this, we don't have to return to Hashem. We can just accept His grace and continue to do whatever we want to as long as we love Him and love people and, and be nice. Mm-hmm. And it's just like, so when was that ever the kingdom of righteousness? But, you know, just don't abuse that. Like, that's being so abused. I agree, and that's sad. You know, I mean, it's just the idea of we have to look at it through the idea of emulating Hashem, walking in His ways. There's this, the final final part that alludes to this, the 13 attributes is this idea of, for He desires kindness. You know, I immediately think to Mashiach's words, it was like, I desire mercy, not sacrifice. Ooh, go learn what this means. We're learning it. What this means, this is about emulating Hashem's 13 attributes, right? It's about emulating, walking in His ways. It says, uh, in Hebrew, chapet chesed, uh, chesed. Yep. He desires kindness. In fact, there's no end to his kindness and mercy, just as there's no end to his greatness. Oh, there is, there is punishment for sins, but even this, even this, is an act of mercy, because all sins are punished if people persist in their wicked ways. But this is also an act of kindness and mercy because um, it purifies them. This idea of Gehinnom, like in in many many cultures, many religions, is just this idea of punishment. It's this idea of eternal torture for those who don't believe JC or, or you know, Muhammad or, or any of these these kind of deals, mm. right? This is, not, this is not the Jewish view. The Jewish view is like that we are atoned through the process. Wow. You know, if it's, if, you know, we didn't live a life of just absolute wickedness, it's it, the idea of Gehenna is the idea of like a washing machine, if you say. It's, mm. a, it's a way to cleanse the soul of all the filth we accumulate in this world because we didn't fully repent or we didn't strive enough. And so there's, there's different time limits set to us in Gehenna. <laughs> 
Just like there's a time setting on your washing machine for depending yes. on how dirty your clothes are. <laughs> and you got a light load, you got a medium load, you got a heavy load, or just a super duper load. <laughs> so get, get the suffering in this world and, and strive for the shoe in this world. So, you know, limit your time and or limit your even entering in there because it will not be a fun experience. No. But even that is active as mercy. You know? oh, wow. It says the punishment for sin is death. It's not eternal torture. Man. So, and, that. and somewhere I read the punishment of a sinner is that he should make teshuva and be accepted by Hashem. That's the punishment for a sinner. Man. So I don't remember where I read that, but that is somewhere. Um, I was listening to one of the drashes from a few years ago that I did with uh, Avraham Ben Hadar. Get you some. And that's what we <laughs> talked about. So Awesome. It's incredible. So these, you know, this whole idea of his mercy goes to the extent of even even beyond this this life and this this time period we have. Ilam Hazay. Amen. You know, this world. Uh, yeah, the next verse talks about Hashem represses our sins. This idea of Yabosh, he will cover or conceal our sins is another translation of this. Ooh. He will cast them in the depths of the sea. And it says, why does he cast them there? Why? Because our sin, the evil that we do, our transgressions not only affect us, they affect others, and they set a motion or train of harmful events. And so you have this allusion to the depths of the sea because plants and seeds don't really thrive there. Mm. So not only does he cover our sins, but he prevents them from spreading to harmful influence. Okay, so tag, I'm just wanting to say this little piece because I'm looking at the verse and I see the words Vetashlik Beam Zulot Yam. And that is Tashlik. And then I love that word uh Me Zulot because that, that reminds me of the word Zal Mavet, which is the same letters, by the way. Beams Beam Zul Beam Zulot which is the word for depths, is also the word for Bezalmavit, which is in the valley of the shadow of death, from Psalm 23. And so Hashem casts that, casts our sins. He covers them and casts them, like Tashlik. Like, I'm like loving seeing these words in here. <laughs> yes. So it just, it just brings a whole much more depth to the service after, you know, Rosh Hashanah. Right. So incredible. Hmm. Uh, go, going on, we have this this next portion, and we're in Yol now, our our final final prophet. Oh, before we go there, what you got? I was just wanting to bring up again from Rabbi Griffin, 2015. Get you some. Yes. Um, you were saying that. Think about the 13 attributes. It's not just reciting them, but it's acting in accordance with that. Well, he mentions and he brings up, he even drops some Hebrew on this verse from Acts chapter 26 and verse 20. And this is Shaul talking. The person that everybody and their grandsister just about says that he does not follow Torah. He is not about that. He doesn't do any of that. But if you just really read about him and you find out, well, he's actually a rabbi and stuff. But he says in this verse, 
but kept declaring both to those of Damascus first, also at Jerusalem, and then throughout all the region of Judea, and even to the Goyim, the Gentiles, the pagans, the idolaters, that they should repent and turn to God, performing deeds appropriate to Teshuvah. Agree, Tag. So this idea, uh, Mashiach says, like, you are the salt right. of this earth. And our, uh, it's just like this idea that uh, I was reading in Imam Lewis on this idea of the salt. Uh-oh. Like, when a Jew keeps Torah, he is like the salt. Mm. Because there's nothing that can sustain fire as well as salt. Wow. And so when we keep Torah, we're like this salt that we're sustained through the the fires of this world the fires of of exile and so it's it's it mentioned it was mentioned to yaakov that his descendants will become like the dust of the earth meaning they'll be downtrodden and stepped on in exile like dust and i'm thinking about what shiok says if salt loses its saltiness then what good is it except to be cast underfoot and this idea that if we're if we keep our saltiness that as we if we keep our torah if yes. we don't assimilate and we're in the nations, then we're going to be even going to the Goim to bring them back, to bring them back to the Shuva. Bring the because Goim they have the back. same source. <laughs> they have the same source just as us. But what's the key thing? We have to keep our saltiness. We have to keep our dedication to Torah because if we don't, we'll be trampled on our foot and we will be, we'll be nothing. We'll be even in, in beneath the nations. Ooh. We're gonna lose our, our exalted states as the 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 bechor, as the firstborn. Mm. Not that we're there to glorify ourselves, but that we're there to lead them back to instill the values of the Father That's to right. the rest of the children. That's right. As always, permission. Well, with what you just said, there ain't no way in the world no eyes can be a thing, because if you're gonna have Noahides then that means the nations don't need to make teshuva. But if the nations need to make teshuva, because obviously that's what Shaul just thought, and he's on trial when he's saying this, by the way, this is of all times for him to put the Torah down, it would have been at this moment. But no, he said even the Goyim need to be turning to Hashem and walking in teshuva. So just wanted to make sure we covered that before we left from... uh, where we were and going into where we're going. Idea, don't don't be be stagnant. If if you're not ascending, if you're not returning back to your source, to Hashem and His ways, then then you're going the opposite direction. So I, I agree very much. So mm-hmm. we have in this next next verse, uh, we have in Joel. Moving on to Joel, right? Joel. Joel. Two eleven says Hashem issued his call to the prophets before sending his army, for his host is very numerous, since those who carry out his word to destroy Ben Israel, if they fail to do Teshuva, are mighty. For great will be the day of Hashem's punishment, and very awesome. Who can withstand it without being harmed, or who could withstand it if not for the possibility of Teshuva that Hashem has granted us? So this idea um, uh, Chazal actually interprets this verse as referencing to the yearly festivals of Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur. It says on Rosh Hashanah, 
Uh, Hashem issues his call to the shofar to his army on earth, B'nai Israel, as we're referred to in, in Shemot, as an army. It says, on that day, he judges them with his heavenly tribunal of accusers and defenders. His host of angels that deliberates about the fate of B'nai Israel is numerous and mighty. The Sadakim are acquitted, the Rashim condemned, and the verdict of those in between is deferred. Finally, Yom Kippur, Yom Kippur, the day, the great and awesome day arrives. On that day, those classified as in-between Jews, put it in the book of, don't know if it's the book of life, book of death, says these Jews are pardoned for it is a day of mercy when the accusers are no longer granted power. And it goes in the next verse that even after the army of locusts has arrived and after, you know, Yom Kippur, if you will, from this other analogy, the shuva is still of value. And it's like there's, there's even a period, if you don't make use of this time, which you should, there's not... To have any excuse or to be lackluster, lackluster or procrastinator, but there's this idea that after Yom Kippur till Sukkot, these are also periods that you can make teshuva in yeah. case you felt you were lacking in these days. <laughs> and so, just the idea, even after teshuva on Yom Kippur, Yom Kippur, the Nazi stressed that even now teshuva is beneficial. Like today, if you'll hear my voice. Oh, stop it. <laughs> We go on to 13, it says, tear your hearts. It begins with tear your hearts, oh. not your clothes. Oh. Right? And, you know, Yeshua mentions this whole idea of prayer about don't be displaying, just be, don't be concerned with other people. Like I mentioned, people praying in the, like the public squares and all this idea. But go behind a door and close it so the Father will see what you did in secret will reward you greatly. This whole idea, it's, it's not that, he's not saying you shouldn't pray in public. You know, if that's the time you, you have to pray and you're going to miss your time, if you don't pray then, then pray right there. Be a proud Jew. Pray right there in public. That's what I would suggest. But what he's saying is don't do it for the sake of people. Do it for the sake of a shim. Yeah. And also, I think there's allusion to the whole idea of introspection. When you're in a closed area by yourself, you have this time to reflect. You're not so worried about what other people are doing or how they're thinking about you. You know, where are you? looking like to them or you know it's it's there's you know you're not concerned with anyone else because it's just you and and the hakadosh baruch Hu that's right and that room with you and so it's this period of inflection where you could really rend your hearts that is like the tearing of the hearts goes on to say is the removal of the barriers of egotism arrogance and self-deceit that blind a person to perceiving the objective truth about himself and prevent him from sincere introspection and teshuva why we that's why it says tear your hearts and not your clothes that's true i mean if you don't tear your heart up it'll mess you up for real <laughs> yes it will need to be able to see you know man uh and just going going through this idea of the idea uh we'll go to uh verse 2017 Mentions this, mentions, Between the hall and the altar shall the Kohanim, servants of Hashem, weep and beseech Hashem. Spare your people, Adonai, and do not give your heritage for disgrace, for the nations rule over them, or to use them as a proverb for a condemnation. Why should the nations jeer? Where is their God? And so I'd like to just kind of focus on this this last phrase a little bit. Um, my lovely Isha, my lovely wife, got me this new book. Oh. It's a Pam on the Half Torah. It's a what? It's a it's an art scroll series. It's called Rav Pam on the Half Torah. Wow. Uh, <laughs> uh, 
is this Rav's elucidation on the on the half Torah. Rav it up. He goes. <laughs> he goes. It says right here. It says uh, commenting on this verse. Commenting this verse, saying Rav Chaim explains that praying to Hashem to remove personal or communal suffering is not an attempt to countermand his will. One's intention should be to relieve the pain that Hashem himself, as it were, feels when a Jew suffers pain. Whoa, whoa. This, yeah, continue on, continue on, because it gets better. Okay. This is what the Gemara in Sanhedrin 46a says, and I quote, when a person suffers for his sins, what does the Shekinah say? I am burdened by my head. I am burdened by my arm. And he goes in talking about this idea of um, when a, a community of Jews in distress when is is like this, it's this Chalul Hashem, this desecrating of Hashem's name, because the non-Jews will say, where is the Jewish God who allows his chosen people to suffer? And he, he frequents this to the Holocaust and uh, the Nazis would, would frequently taunt. Uh, many, many of us said, uh, Jude thou is den Gott. Says, Jew, where is your God? And so it goes in, and he, he, he says this, and this is a, his exact words, not changing anything. He says, when a Jew prays for Yeshua from his Saros, his intention should be to remove the Chalul Hashem that such suffering brings in its wake, and the aspect of Emol Anochi Masara. I am with him in his suffering that this causes Hashem. Continues by saying, by praying for a Yeshua, one is attempting to reduce his divine pain, or this divine pain, Sika, as it were. Such tefillah is not only permissible, but is an essential aspect of Avadat Hashem, of service of our God. Tag. So, go for it. I agree. Two things. Did you see that the word for where is your God? Is the same word that was used for where the, where is the lamb from the Akida? Bereshit 22, verse 7. Second thing is out of this whole drop from Rav Pam, did you think about and overlay in the background Yeshua praying in the garden of Gethsemane? That is incredible. Because you said it wasn't it wasn't to go against the will of God. It was all about alleviating Hashem's pain. Man, that's incredible. So anyway, that's why I was saying, whoa, whoa. But you just kept flying. And I was just like, I can't believe this is happening right now. This is absolutely, oh, man. I don't even have words for how amazing that was. Like it's written, you know. One who slaps a Jew is like he struck the divine presence. Oh. And so it's prophesy, and they hit him across the face. And, you know, it's just this idea of, of why. Why did he say if this cup shall pass? Because in this idea of suffering, in the idea of Jewish people suffering, the Mashiach suffering, there there is this idea of chlu Hashem, that the nation would have something against us that says, where is your God, Jew? Where is your God? And so when we pray... When we pray for this idea of being alleviated for Mashiach coming, what we're actually, what we should be striving for praying is not for ourselves, not for the alleviation of our own suffering, but for the sake of heaven, right. for the sake that God's honor is not diminished, <laughs> and that His pain would 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 cease. 
like like rabbis uh, often fond fond of saying, um, uh, quoting from like Pirke, the idea of make his will your will, and he'll make his will your will. That's you know? right. Can I uh, do a quick tag on that too, please? Yes, go for it. Uh, or Hachaim back in Parsha Pinkus is talking about uh, the visitation of one of the sages to Yeshua. And he says, um, let's see, I don't have the, this page take, I didn't, I didn't get the snapshot of that page, but the verbiage on that page goes to the effect of Mashiach is questioning the sage that's visiting him because the sage is like, when are you coming? And Mashiach is like, well, I need to ask you a question. Are, is Yisrael as heartbroken over me in my delay as I am? That's powerful. Yeah. So when we say, may we merit to see the return of Mashiach speedily and soon in our days, we're, we're that much closer to really feeling how Hashem feels. Yeah. As just on this idea of really, really feeling what we're saying, really taking account of what what we're doing. I love that elucidation, elucidation by the way, man. It's incredible. Amen. Um, and just it says right here, it says, between the hall and the altar refers to a special section of the Azarah, the courtyard, where many parts of the service were performed. There the Kohanim would implore Shem not to stop the Avodah. They were bidden to cry since the heavenly gates of Tirfilt of Lot are never locked. Does this have that uh, source about there was always enough uh, Yehudim present in this part of the temple precinct to be able to account for all of the nation of Israel uh, for all the sacrifices? Because it says that the offerer of the sacrifice, or I mean the uh, the person who brings their sacrifice, like they have to be present when their offering is slaughtered. So basically, whenever there are communal offerings, technically all of Israel, all of the world should be present in the temple when that offering is being offered up. And uh, there was a source that was saying that since this doesn't happen, that there is literally a designated uh, amount of Jews, pretty much like a minion Basically, that's always available in the courtyard to be present on behalf of the whole nation and the world to be present for those sacrifices when they're offered. Wow. So I don't remember what, what source that was, but man, I was I was reading about that. Be present during your sacrifice. Yeah. And so just, wow. Um, I'm going to tab on that for practical notes. Okay. So remind me of that. Okay. Oh, okay. Cool. So, um, so thank you, thank you. But that's I'm gonna I'm gonna tab on that for practical notes for sure. Okay. Well, keep going. Where are you going then? Keep going. Okay. So, uh, before we get into all that, it it mentions on all these verses how how if you return to Hashem and cry out to Him, Hashem will be zealous for His land. He has become desolate on account of the famine, and He will have compassion on His people. Hashem will reply to the entreaties of His people and say, "Behold, from now on, I will send you blessing, your grain, wine, and oil." You will be satiated by it. 
I will no longer cause you shame among the nations, for you no longer be driven to go among them in search of food. And, and verse 20 says, And the one, starts off with, And the one that emerges from a northern direction, I will remove from you in its entirety. It goes and talk about this northern, northern one, referred to Babylon, um, referred to the swarm of locusts that I mentioned earlier, the Yetzirahara. And uh, there's a little, little side note that it appears in different guises, the Yetzirahara that we mentioned before. It says, In the history of nations, lust for conquest and fame, it appears as religion, colonization, or spread of civilization. Wow. And so, I'm talking about this is actually Yetzirahara. I wasn't, you know, we talk about, you know, if you, you look at all these, the Catholic conquests, it says for God, gold, gold and glory, right? But really, it was just for glory and selfish interest. But the idea of the Yetzirahara, right? Right. Northern one, the hidden one that's concealed within our hearts, as we mentioned in the Talim 4.5. It says, in the future, Mashiach's era, Hashem will eliminate the Yetzirah altogether. Amen. Expel him to a desolate land. His stench, his Tumah, will rise, but it will no longer affect B'nai Israel. Despite the harm the Yetzirah inflicted, it also, says, Ki hikdil la'asot, it also accomplished great things, since by fighting it, the Sadakim became elevated. Ooh. So there is a purpose. There is a purpose for it, and so we need to make the most of our time and make the most of this this fight that we're waging within our own hearts and against against this Yetzirah within it. Are you saying fight the good fight? Fight the good fight. That is the fight in the good fight. Wow, that's what that means. Okay. <laughs> and, and so, uh, going on uh, talking about the future abundance and, and how it will be satiated by it says, do not fear beasts of the fields, verse 22, that you lack pasture ground, for the former desert dwellings will sprout grass. The tree will bear its fruit. The fig tree and vine will give forth their produce. Mentions that in Mashiach's era, each tree will bear some kind of fruit. None will be barren. Fruit will grow in one day, and the bark of trees will become edible too. Mm. Which is awesome, because yeah. I definitely want to try that. Tree Might bark. Weird, but <laughs> tree bark. It's Man, delicious. I bet it's going to be like a brownie or something. Right? I don't know. <laughs> <You know? laughs> okay, so um, he goesn't talk about Bnei Israel's rejoicing will be not be due to the material blessings, but rather because these enable them to fill Hashem's renewed love. Oh man, Get you this idea of tree bark as brownies, like getting getting chocolates for your your wife, giving us a nice dessert, kosher dessert to to eat at like anniversary dinner or what have you right you're having a picnic it's like did you bring a dessert yes i did as a matter of fact it's right here right next to it. it's on the trunk of this tree here we go it's a alam haba tree bark that's right <laughs> man messianic error tree bark i guess if you will right <laughs> myself messiah bites <laughs> <laughs> well Man. Okay. So, uh, moving on. No. Moving on, moving on, moving on. <laughs> you, son, you sons of Zion, jubilate and rejoice in Hashem, your God, for he has given you the early rain, charitably disregarding your sins. Rain is falling for you, the early rain in the month of Marcheshvan, and the late rain in Nisan as a first, before the drought, when each rainfall occurred in its proper season. Mm -hmm. And it mentions what we talked about earlier 
about the rain falling in its time. It mentions something very, very interesting in the verse, This phrase where it's talking about, let me go to it here. He has given you the early rain charitably. And charitably. it mentions this word, that this, this phrase is kind of ambiguous, especially the word more. Mm-hmm. Um, it says it may also mean Hashem has given you prophets who show you how to deal justly. And even more interesting, in particular, this may be a reference to Mashiach, who will teach the entire world the proper way of serving Hashem. Ooh. And what's well, anymore, you have, you have et hamore la sadaqa. Get it. Right? And so going into this word more, mm-hmm. uh, you have its first use in, in Brashit 12.6. After, after verse 5, it says the, the souls that they had made, the converts they made, Abraham and Sarah. And then verse 6, like to Moriah, he built an altar there. More. Oh, my word. More, he built all this. is first use. It's also used in Yol, um, or excuse me, Job, uh, Job 36, 22, where it says God, talk about God, it says, who is a more? Who is a teacher like him? Mm. So this idea of more is also a teacher, but there's this, there's this principle of hermeneutics where the hey can be exchanged for an olive. So... And it mentions it mentions that more may be a reference to Mashiach. Well, if you exchange the hay for an olive, you get the word mora, which is fear, which is actually a name, an essence of of Mashiach. So I'm going to begin to elucidate this idea, if if you allow me to. Uh, I, only if I can say, "Hey, what you doing?" <laughs> Right, I'm glad you asked. No. <laughs> okay, cool. Go. <laughs> we find the name fear, Morah, for Mashiach in let all who are around him bring presents to him who ought to be feared, Morah. Talim 76, 11. And so it describes uh, the scene. This is describing the scene after God's final judgment at the time of the restoration of Israel, kind of like what, the area we're talking about right here which among other things means the complete submission of all our enemies in this context, nations, as the Hebrew has, it brings presence to fear. And it goes and talk about in uh, Yeshia 813, Isaiah 813, the Lord of hosts, him you should hallow. Let him be your fear. Let him be your morah. Uh, also shows that fear is one of God's names. And then it goes and it quotes this Midrash and Baskita Zarata. And which sees the fear of Telim 76 as Mashiach and supports its view by referencing the blessing of Yehuda regarding the Mashiach. When in Brashit 49.10, Genesis 49.10, where it says the scepter shall not depart from Yehuda until, and dot, 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 you know, until tribute comes to him. And so the English, we translate this as the word like Shiloh. Mm-hmm. Um, you have you have King James version, which translates until Shiloh comes, and you have like English Standard Version reading it as like the tribute comes to him, Shiloh. Both this is actually in accordance. All this is actually in accordance with placing them all together, with this midrashic view, which concludes until Shiloh comes. This means Shiloh tribute to him, since in the future the nations of the world will bring tribute to Mashiach Ben David. As it says, at that time, tribute, Shai, will be brought, Isaiah 18.7. And it says, the kings of Tarshish and the Isles will bring presents, Telim 72.10. That's from Peskita Zeratai, Rashid 49.10. Wow. 
this whole idea of Shiloh um, has the idea of bringing presence to him, like in Talim 76, the all who are around him bring presence to him who ought to be feared, Morah, which according to the, the this Midrash is Mashiach, and according to other verses within the Tanakh, it is, Morah is also one of God's name as well. So is it Mashiach, or is it Hashem? Yes. And at the birth of Mashiach, the wise men, the shepherds, all of the visitations that he had, they're bringing presents to him because it's showing that he is divine because he has the same name as Hashem. Yes. And furthermore, frankincense and myrrh, myrrh comes from the root of Moriah or Moray. So there's that. That's ridiculous. Like, I never thought about that when people were bringing him gifts. Like, it's all just resetting right now. Because, like, it's not a it's not an X-Men story. It's like, okay, nope. Okay, got it. Okay, so why are they bringing him gifts again? <laughs> it's not his birthday, you know. Yeah. Uh... <laughs> well... Uh, I, I love that, that concept and something you struck that says why are they bringing him gifts and I was thinking about the gifts we bring to Hashem I was thinking about this an idea of Teshuvah oh and midway, when we confess our sins and what are we doing at that point when we're confessing our sins what are we really doing and I believe it comes down to it's the idea of being vulnerable with Hashem with our Father and so many times uh, it's likened to this this relationship like between like husband and wife bride and groom and it's like one of the one of the biggest things one of the biggest gifts you can give to your spouse is just this vulnerability this openness mm. uh even if it's something that you're not you're you're you may be ashamed of it's it's a part of you that needs to be needs to be released so one of the most beautiful gifts you can give t- to your your spouse is just this idea of vulnerability, this idea of, of confession, this idea of openness for the sake of for the sake of restoring the relationship or even taking it to a deeper level. Wow. And so I believe, you know, this is this is the gift. This is the gift we give um, Hashem. Mm. And I'm thinking of it, you know, when we have Mashiach on the execution stake. You know, bound up in our sins, like when we when we're confessing that, we're acknowledging that his sacrifice is not in vain. You know, we're we're acknowledging what we've done and we're strengthening our relationship with him. And it's just really interesting here. It says et hamare. Like, remember, hamare also means the teacher. Aleph tav, the teacher. Yeah. And then it says sadaka. And this idea of like it says like charity here, but like sadek, like mm-hmm. sadik, yep. like the righteous. The righteous. And so you have. Yes, you have this idea of the righteous teacher for the sake of righteousness. And I can't help but think of the idea that he who knew not sin became sin so that we might become the righteousness of God. Oh, so we have this teacher, this teacher who's put on this stake for us. Why? Well, so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. Right? He, he, he took our afflictions. He took our sins. And us, us act of teshuva is us opening up to him. It's deepening the relationship so that we can strengthen it, so we can restore it, so we can acknowledge what he's done for us and show, like you said earlier, this idea of gratitude. He sustains us through our sins so that we may return to him in gratitude with this renewed, rekindled love for our, our desire for him to return to the point where we're no longer praying 
for our afflictions to end, but we're praying for his afflictions to end. Ooh. And of course, this whole idea of, of more also has a connotation of uh, Torah. Ooh, so Rashi comments on, on this idea of Abraham and oh, that's my page here. Going to Moray, and he mentions he mentions this idea of Moray. Um, <laughs> so I'm on one up. And he says, uh, Moray is related to Lahorot to instruct, oh. as in the word Torah. So you have another idea of the Torah, the Torah leading us to righteousness. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Okay, so you know you see that olive tav. Are you gonna you gonna touch that? Go for it. I was just gonna say, you know who who is the first and who is the last. We know it's that's him. We know it's Mashiach. And uh, you know that's pretty much saying Hashem Mashiach is our teacher for righteousness. He is our Torah that leads us to righteousness. Mm-hmm. And the very ne- next verse is. Disregarding your sins, Kim Gashem. So, you know, it's, it's, and it's translated as the early rain. That's the part that's the early rain. Amore. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> so there's that the early rain that's, that's given to us as blessing. And to, to sort of like conclude this this the half tour section, then it goes in talking about I will compensate you for the years of the various locusts, the Arbe, the Yelik, the Chasil, and the Gazam. My great army that I sent among you consume your produce. Discusses all these, uh, the locusts have this destructive nature. And it gets worse, but he says, I'm going to restore you from this. And according to Chazal, these four kinds of locusts hit to the four exiles. Oh. Which we in the course of history. And so he's going to say, I'm going to restore you from all the damage that these exiles caused you. You know, I'm, I'm going to wipe the, the names of... Baal from your from your tongues and restore you up to your unholy language, right? And then, and the next verse says, "You shall eat eating which shall satiate you. You shall praise the name of Hashem your God, who has done wondrous things with you. And my people shall never more be put to shame." So losing to the Birkat Hamazon there, uh, talking about us being satiated after we we eat, and is talking about some of the blessings that. One adds that as soon as Ben Israel will eat, they'll feel satiated. And once the Safoni, the northern one, the Yetzahara, has been removed from their hearts, their enjoyment of God's blessing will be the Shaim Shamaim for the sake of heaven. We're no longer seek our personal enjoyment, convenience, but we'll be satisfied with the blessings, his blessings, and praise him for what we have. And our final voice, you shall know that I am in the midst of Israel to supervise you with my special providence. I am a Shem, your God. There is no other power that can stop me from bringing blessings of abundance upon you. My people will never be more put to shame for who can oppose my will. And so this end of the half Torah, it, released, it relates, of course, to the Mashiach's time when all of Israel, called Israel, sufferings will be over. Israel will then be seen, first of all, Hashem is constantly in their midst. And second, that there is no power other than he. And like this idea was demonstrated to us in Sinai, says you were shown to know that Hashem is the Almighty God. There is none beside Him. In our Galus, in our exile, we are longing for the actual experience of the presence of the Shekinah among us once more. And this is what the Pasuk promises for the future. Because I mentioned it, even the second Ben Mekdash, the Shekinah was absent, but 
once it returns in the future, it will stay with us permanently, and therefore, my people will never be more put to shame. And then just a little note says, what are the difference between these two assurances? Um, and the previous one in verse 26 says the first one, Hashem foretells we will never again suffer embarrassment on account of being driven in exile and exposed to the circumstances in which the Gentiles will mock us. But the second one, he adds in Hashem's name that neither we will, get, we will again suffer a spiritual exile that will cause us to be ashamed of ourselves. For the Shekinah, his presence will stay with us permanently. So there's no longer even need for uh, us to go into exile again because the Yetzirah will be illuminated us and if if we're serving him in his will, then how will we be exiled again? Well, may it be so, speedily and soon in our days. Man. Man. Well, your tab was being present with your sacrifice. Amen. Oh, well, thank you for reminding me. The whole being idea of being present with your sacrifice, uh, when you said that, it just reminded me of you know what we talked about earlier in Hoshea, like let her lips compensate for the bulls. Yes. And we have this idea of our prayers take the place of the sacrificial offerings. And so being present in our sacrifice, the illusion of, are we being present within our prayers? Are we, are we being intentional? Are we being involved within our prayers? Or are we thinking about what we're going to do next? Or, you know, just going through it by rote. Like, are we really, really dwelling within uh, our Torah study and within our prayers? And really, that's for says let it compensate for the bulls, like the the seventy bulls sacrificed on Sukkot, mm-hmm. right? on the cow of the nations, the seventy nations. And so, this idea of when we're present within our sacrifice, we're not only bringing atonement and for for ourselves, for our brothers, but for the world. Wow! Because there's so much about this this unity, like we pray in unity, pray we, us. And then there's so much teshuva, and like we mentioned earlier, one person teshuva can like rectify, compare this this dakun for the world. And we're in Mashiach, so by default, we match that bill because it's in his merit that the world is being saved. Amen. Well, Hasis, you have done a very epic job, so... Yashar Koak on bringing in three different prophets for one Haftarah. You have become the uh, the Sephira of Yesod and Malkut. Like, bringing the three pillars and bringing them down and planting them. So, uh, just want to say, Yashar Koak and Mazal Tov. Really appreciate all the work you did on that and just being diligent with your studies and being a person of Zadaka to share this with the world. Okay, man, I, I appreciate your kind words. I appreciate, you know, a lot, of, a lot of what we say here might might even be, you know, impromptu, just stuffing that you, you've said and inspired me or kindled, kindled a different thought. Yeah. So I appreciate having the opportunity to just do this, do this with you, drush it out with you, because it, it elucidates this whole thing more, much more than I've ever intended it to be. Well, I'll tell you, I felt flatter than a deflated tire on the side of the road because, you know, going into this and after seeing the Braca and just having some time, like this has been incredible. So, man. All right. So we kind of have done practical takeaways throughout the Drosh, which I think was really neat. But uh, just for the sake of making sure that we 
reiterate those or give time for that. Um, do you do you have any practical takeaways? Uh, yes. Yeah. Um, just the idea, like we mentioned, being present in our prayers. Um, I think it's the idea of also walking in His ways, like this idea of. of Rabbi Griffin's mentioned this before, but the idea of when Moshe says, show me your glory, he, he responds by showing him these these wonderful character traits. So if we want to be a light on the hill and radiate the glory of Hashem and the light of his presence, right? then, then what we need to do, we need to be walking his ways. We need to be emulating his character um, for, for all mankind and be very diligent about that. Um, I think the idea of really putting him first and really being praying for Mashiach to return as, as like to alleviate his suffering. You know, I think that's something very powerful. Man. And just this idea of, of how, how we interpret things like Mashiach says, and how, and how do you view it? How do you interpret the scripture? Now, how do we interpret the scripture? How do we interpret other people? How do we interpret situations? Is it Gamsula Tava or is it complaining? Hmm. And just the idea of, like all these bad situations where it's someone mocking us, someone hurting us in some kind of way is this opportunity to make a tacoon with our, within our, our lives, within other people's lives and within like this whole world and to really abide in how Mashiach uh, walked out his life and taught us to as well. Get you some. Well, uh, I agree. And one of the most, uh, hard-hitting, deep-impacting sections of our drashing tonight was about the don't get offended, but defend in regards to your neighbor and, and looking for ways to really intercede for those who you could probably care less to do so for. And, uh... You know, I I took today earlier just in my goings and comings that to just really look around because sometimes we forget how deep in exile we are, how how deep the level of our descent and the generations that we are. And uh, I really noticed that today. And my thought was with such darkness you know, how do people even have the ability to even see any light at all? Wow. You know, I, I get that if you light a, even a match or a cigarette lighter in a dark room that, you know, it lights up the darkness. But for the people who are in darkness, it's just like, how can they even fathom even a little fraction of light? And it's only because of the spirit of Hashem that that's happening you know and more people are are really looking for it and really have have stopped submitting to darkness and we don't know who those people are at any given moment until they until they're revealed and so just going off this practical takeaway of look for ways to intercede for people it doesn't matter if they're jew or gentile it's just like no, no respect to any kind of uh, uh, character, no respect to any person that we need to be really like just shining out Torah, giving out Torah to as many people as possible with what we say, 
with what we do, with who we are, and really just like stepping up, you know, in that. And and I've seen how how much people change just from the fact of being like, okay, obviously you're Jewish and I'm not. And so I don't know how you feel about me, but every time you see me, you're always smiling at me and you're always saying good morning. I don't get that, but okay. <laughs> you know, and it's just like, yeah, like there's nothing. I don't hold anything against you. I'll, the only thing I hold against you is, do you want to know your God? Do you seek him? I'm not going to get upset with you if you say no, but that's my heart for you is that you would know the one who created you, that you would reach out your hand to the one who's reaching out his hand to you. Not this phony, baloney, greasy grace, come to church on Sunday stuff. I'm talking about like a real deep impact creator of the universe, like knows me type thing. So that's my practical takeaway is just really fighting for those who, who we just feel like we like, how can we fight for them? Why should we fight for them? Should we even fight for them? Like all that, any of those on that list, like those are the people we fight for. So, Brukashim, this is this is a very very deep way to begin five seven seven nine. I love it, man. No, no other way to do it. Yeah, as deep as the the, the pebbles we cast in the Touch League service. Oh, <laughs> as, as deep as the the sins that a shimmel cast are the yeah into the the great sea. That Micah passage. Oh my word. Whew. All right. Well, what do we know? What do we know? Do you have anything else you'd like to add? I forgot to say that. I'll just that we we will make the most of this these asirat yameh teshuva these these ten days of repentance uh, myself you and and all who are listening and all those who are bound to listen that we make the most of these ten days and like you said not take advantage of uh, the, the greasy grace message don't take advantage of Hashem's kindness well Hasis I'm I'm gonna ask you something very crazy <laughs> all right after after saying the closing bracha for the haftarah. Would you please um, say a say a prayer for us and the listeners, uh, just in in regards to these ten days and heading into Yom Kippur and Sukkot? Man, sure, of course. All right, Toda Rabbah, Baruch Hashem, Baruch Adonai, Eloheinu Melech Haolam, Zur Kol Haolamim, Zadik Bekol Hadorot, Hael. Haneeman haomer veose hamdaber umkayem shekal devarav emet vazedek neeman atahu adonai lohenu vene emanim devareka vedavar echad midvareka achor lo yashuv recham ki el melek neeman verakaman ata. Baruch Ata Adonai Haneeman Bekol Devarav Biskut Mashiach Yeshua Amen Amen uh, Our Father who is in heaven the, Just these expressions of our heart and uh, The expressions of our mouth and our thoughts of our heart Find favor before you And may we just come before you with Just in sincerity these ten days May you water path May we, we read 
not to to find enjoyment or pleasure. May we be pleasured and find enjoyment in doing your word and living according to your scriptures. Allow us to, again, just make the most of these days. Allow us to be truly introspective and, and do a deep, deep clean of Shuva to hold to Mashiach's words and just hold to the, these ideas that David said in Tehillim that, that we should be silent, you know, and, and just reflect in our hearts. Wage the war against our own evil inclinations, not see uh, pe- people of flesh and blood as our enemies, but these own selfish desires that keep us separated from you and from each other. May we be bound in unity and, and serve you in the way that is fitting and proper, Hashem. And just guide us and, and aid us in doing Teshuvah. Aid us in, in diminishing our ego. Aid us in achieving true humility that we may be made into vessels to receive your light. That we may shine forth to each other and to all the nations. Hashem Shiach. Amen. Amen. Hallelujah. Well, this is Shomer Man and Chassis for the Haftarah. Get you some for Shabbat Shuva, Parsha Vayelek, and the 10 days of awe. Blessings to everyone. Hasis, blessings to you and your household. And we are saying Shalom. Shalom.